You're listening to Bachar, a podcast celebrating creators and innovators at different stages of their entrepreneurial journey. These people started their journey on the very streets that we're on. Why don't you come take a look? Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Vichar. Today, we're joined by Kapil Anand, founder and CEO of Kapil Anand Agro. Kapil has been part of the food processing industry for over 18 years now, and has been successful in building one of the most established names in the food processing sector in India, focusing on the manufacturing and processing of honey, pickles, preserves, and different kinds of pastes. Why don't you start off by, you know, giving us a little bit of a background as to what the food processing sector in India looks like and what this evolution has been like, you know, as, as per your experience? The Indian scenario from what I, from my perspective is, uh, I do have an 18 year experience of, uh, uh, of the industry, but uh, particularly in this particular uh, manufacturing industry, I got in 2011. Okay. So relatively new when it comes to that, uh, okay. just about nine to 10 years. Um, though traditionally my family has been involved in the, in the, in the food segment as well. Um, the evolution has been mind blowing, even though India has been a very late starter when it comes to food processing per se, uh, during our initial chats, I think I mentioned that, you know, when you, when you look at the gap, uh, from, from the point of view of developed economies vis-a-vis India, which is still developing. The gap is huge because yeah. uh, even today, while we are talking of food processing, India is is processing about five to seven percent of the food that it produces, uh, wow. compared to a country like USA, which does over eighty seven percent of processing. Oh wow, that's a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, and so you can imagine uh, the scope to grow. Number one. Yeah. Uh, number two, how far behind we are. In, in terms of what all can the Indian consumer, uh, you know, expect uh, in the near term and in the long term. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, so, so that is the gap which is there to be uh, absorbed, whereas where, where lies the opportunity. Um, you know, some of the old uh, brands that are now established have taken years to reach where they are, and now they are rapidly growing because of the you know, because of the economic spurt and uh, the government intervention and the new Atmanirbhar Bharat campaign from yeah. from the government, so all of that is kind of uh, you know putting it all together and saying you know we've arrived you know so let's go out there and reach uh, at least if not eighty seven percent but maybe let's say ten for ten and fifteen percent in the next five to ten years. Yeah, point. definitely. And, 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 you know, I mean, in, in the research that we were doing, Nub and I both, uh, we, you know, some of the main trends that really stood out um, in our research and, and, we, and, and we feel like are really driving the industry uh, include, number one, obviously, urbanization. Now, there's a huge number of people uh, in India moving to tier one, tier two, tier three cities. And this continuous growth in the urban population and the employment rate. Uh, you know, at least before COVID hit, uh, this was something that was happening actively, has also led to a change in lifestyle, right? As people get jobs, they get, they have less time, they're getting more busy. And obviously, as a result, they have less time to actually cook and prepare fresh food. And as I mean, what we're seeing as a result is the increase in popularity of processed foods and, you know, ready to eat products and snacks. 
And again, like I said before, this is something we, uh, Nub and I both personally have seen as well in, in college, you know, um, it's something that I, I mean, for me, it's, it's either frozen food, snacks, or like I'm ordering something from outside. So it's, you know, it's, it's something we've seen as a whole. And number two is, uh, there's also this huge amount of foreign investment that, that, that's coming into the country. You know, I think between 2000 and 2017, it was close to around seven and a half billion dollars. And this number is expected to increase by five X in the next 10 years. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this, this is coming through players like Amazon, uh, you know, Cargill, the US-based food company, Uber yeah. even. So like, what do you, I mean, in terms of, in terms of the impact that these trends are having uh, to reach that 87% that you were talking about, how do you think these trends are going to impact the Indian food processing industry individually or combined? And like, you know, how, what, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. So, um, you know, while, while, while it sounds, you know, it's, it's a very rosy picture out there that Amazon is here. Hmm. Uh, even within even within the country, uh, you know, there are a lot of unicorns already here, like the big baskets yeah. and the Zomatos of the world are right. already here in the country. And they are driving this growth of uh, processed food, uh, ready to eat food, ready to deliver food. I mean, uh, even today, you know, there are there are apps like um, and it's a funny name, though, but I think it's appropriate. It's called Batman Delivers. You know, <laughs> there's an app here in Gurdown. What is that? <laughs> Yeah, Batman delivers. So basically, it means nocturnal, right? So you, if if you're okay, craving okay. for something at about nine, uh, at about three a.m. in the morning, and you, you know, you call Batman delivers, and it would give you a fresh pizza, for example. Oh and wow! Okay. So so that's processed food ultimately, right? Because he's yeah. obviously not making the dough there or making a fresh uh, tomato uh, puree and you know putting it on the pizza. It's all processed food that is being used ultimately. So of course, of course, the demand is being driven, but at the same time, if you see the numbers, e-commerce as such is about of the total demand that generates is, uh, and I'm particularly talking about food processing is uh, is three percent. Uh, when it comes to, so uh, in terms of distribution of products to the markets and e-commerce is reaching tier two, tier three towns now, but uh, but not particularly food for food processing. It is reaching tier two, tier three towns for. Various other wants that tier two and tier three town uh, people feel they should have, you know, like a belt or a shoe right. or a trouser, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, or a mobile phone or a, or a, or pods for that matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I think it's a while uh, till it reaches the the core of the country. And you're right when you said that uh, the demand is coming from tier one and metro cities only right now right. because okay. uh, because obviously it's urbanization and jobs are mostly in. And that's world over, right? I mean, yeah. uh, New York will generate more jobs than uh, a small city uh, in the US would. You know, why don't, I mean, I, I kind of gave a very brief introduction at the beginning, but why don't you talk, uh, you know, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what Kapalan and Agro is, what you guys specialize in, and, you know, the story behind how, uh, you know, you started this venture. Okay, so the, the, the story is very simple and it's very personal. Uh, mm-hmm. The story is that I did several jobs uh, from IT to selling, selling shoes to retail to distribution to industrial pneumatics, a uh, couple of small businesses that failed. Um, uh, what I learned during the jobs that I was doing in the, corporate, in the corporate world was that I always thought that I was better than my boss. <laughs> okay. Um, I really couldn't understand uh, the logic of somebody kind of guiding me or telling me you know this is to be done you need to reach 
X place as at X time and you know the works. The opportunity came because um, you know as a, as a, as a small young boy, I would travel to uh, go to Dabur corporate office because at that point my uh, father used to supply bulk honey to to Dabur and it was probably one of you know Dabur was at its nascent stage of starting the honey brand and I'm talking about a good 30 35 years ago right um, so i would visit their corporate office and they had a few brands there you know their their uh, trademark chavan prash and dabur lal dandmanjan <laughs> yes and uh, uh, you know uh, a couple of other products hingoli and pudin hara you know these are very dabur products nobody is even right. able to come near these products and there was a showcase window there and uh, i was really enamored by that window and i used to think you know one day i would i would make a product that would be placed in one of these shelves at dabur i don't know why that picture keeps kept playing in my mind and so i got an opportunity to supply raw garlic to dabur just raw garlic because from the virtue of me coming from a state of uttar pradesh and um uh, it is a it is a garlic growing belt so right uh while of, while i was doing a job at an it firm and i'm sure you all know of salesforce.com of course um, oh wow okay so i was heading their sales in india and salesforce.com okay. had just entered indian market then um and i was in a good position i was heading their sales for north india um and i uh, i was getting a good paycheck as well so you know the transition from a corporate good healthy corporate job where you get a good salary uh, at the end of the month to 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 become an entrepreneur is is is, is the leap that very few are able to take yeah um, yeah and once you take that leap then you know you have to go all guns blazing couple well you're talking a bit about your supply chain and uh we actually wanted to know a bit more about that i'm sure it's evolved a lot from from you going to mundis personally and and gathering all the raw materials that you need to send to to dabur um yeah. but could you logistically describe the process of creating any one of your products and uh and can you tell us how you look to increase efficiency within that supply chain a uh, very interesting question because uh, it works in very different ways and it depends on the scale of business that you are in right uh 90% of businesses in india are on are unorganized as you may mm-hmm. know uh, especially food processing and uh, even though they may have reached a certain scale in terms of uh, top line mm-hmm. you know the owners don't let it go the owners feel that they know everything uh from purchasing to to manufacturing to to dispatch to quality uh and that's where that's where most of these uh entrepreneurs are not able to grow the cycle is very simple the cycle is that you procure uh depending on the volume uh from the region where the crop is grown i mean that's the most important criteria uh you may not buy gin- ginger for example from from a mandi in delhi because it's not native to delhi you would buy ginger from the northeast because that's where ginger is grown and you would buy ginger in the south of india and bangalore and that's where ginger is grown and so you need to look out and and that's where the efficiency comes in because if i'm buying directly from the source first it gives me control over quality two it gives me logistically it makes sense because then it not it is not passing through several hands and the system in india is such and so far it is and that's why you know the farmer agitation and whatever is going on right now the system in india is such that uh the produce of the local farmer could be sold at the local mandi right right yeah. and that's one of the laws 
which the government is trying to change. How, what is your process of sitting down, you know, and breaking that problem down and, and really understanding what the best way to go about and, you know, overcoming that challenge or problem, uh, you know, uh, th- that might occur. So how do you do that now? And how, how do you think, uh, I think you touched upon this uh, earlier, uh, you know, a little in terms of how you've grown as an entrepreneur. How do you think this decision and like challenge dealing process is different now? than it was maybe 10 years ago when you started your venture? So you see, uh, Shashank, problems come at every stage. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the scale of the problem could be different and, and every day we are learning. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. ten, years, 10 years ago, uh, the, my, my problem was that I was the only one doing it. Uh, like you had mentioned that, you know, we were 15 of us. Uh, out of which 15, uh, 12 of them were 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 the labor, the workforce who were operating the machinery. Uh, it was me and my accountant, and yeah. every job had to be done by me. So I I call myself a director miscellaneous. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> okay. And that's what that's what that's what uh, entrepreneurs are supposed to be, because unless uh, you've greased your elbows, you won't be able to guide the next generation. Where do you actually see your business heading? Let's say in the next ten years. To get the right synergy between agri-tech uh, and the number of people you hire or, or the human resource that you have, uh, I, I, I can tell you that by, by example. So when, when we were 100 employees, mm-hmm. um, I was doing, let's say, 30 tons, 30 tons of production per day. Uh, but to scale from 30 tons of production per day to 50 tons of production per day, I did not have 150 employees. I had 115 employees. Okay. You know? mm-hmm. I, are you trying to get what I'm trying to answer? The scale of my human resource did not increase uh, in proportion to my scale of production. production. Right. One of your key missions and values as a company is to conserve the environment and really focus on the conservation of natural resources and to minimize the amount of waste that you, you know, you produce as a company. So why don't you go ahead and, you know, tell us a little bit about the various things that you as a company are doing to, you know, really alleviate your carbon footprint. And what, what would your general overall recommendations be for the industry in India to, you know, uh, either adopt some of the practices that you have as of now or or things that they can generally do to, you know, uh, become more environmentally sustainable. Yeah. So again, this is this is something which is very personal to me also, and that is why it's our company mission. And, okay. Uh, awesome. You know, uh, from childhood we've been told to switch off the light when you leave the room. Right. And it stems from that, uh, because saving energy and saving water, we need to leave something behind for our future generations. And you know, yeah. world is getting to a place where you know, global warming is happening and I need not dwell on that. Uh, what we do, uh, what we do uh, in my organization uh, with our limited resources is very simple. Uh, you know, we, we, the waste that we, and our waste is very organic. Our waste is, uh, our waste is a waste of uh, fruits and vegetables, right? Yeah. Um, rotten fruits that we are not putting in the bottles and stuff like that. Uh, the the sorting that we do every day, and so we've created our own uh, pit where we do not throw them anywhere. We just you know kind of put them underground, uh, add a few chemicals, and turn them into manure. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's our step of sustaining the environment. That's number one. 
Okay. Number two, what we've started recently doing is that, you know, all food processing plant use uh, uh, reverse osmosis. That's basically purifying water to a level that is WHO uh, validated. Certified. Mm-hmm. That is good for human consumption. It's that simple like that. Right? So all industries use RO. Uh, the way RO works, uh, and it depends uh, on the quality of the water that you're drawing from the ground, uh, and and general trend is that one third of the water, so in one liter of water, seven hundred ml is wasted when you pass that water through RO. Wow! So what you get in your hand is three hundred ml of water, drinking water. That's the amount of waste that RO wow. generates. And mm-hmm. when industries like ours, which are food processing industries, are mandated by law to use only RO water in the products manufactured because they enhance the shelf life, of course, uh, of, of the product. Okay. What do you do with the waste? Because our plants don't run on one liter per hour RO capacity or 10 liters, for example, that a household RO runs. Our plants run on 1,000 liters, 4,000 liters, 10,000 yeah. liters, wow, exactly. 5 lakh liters exactly. of water per exactly. hour. Yeah. Right, so imagine the amount of water that is being gener- uh, wasted and not being consumed. So for us, the the amount of uh, RO that we use, all the waste we have created, uh, large tanks, overhead tanks, underground tanks, and that's the extra expense that we took as an organization. I mean, it that is not mandated by law, by the way. Yeah, yeah. What is mandated by law is to use the RO water. What to do with the waste of the RO water is your personal choice, and that's why for 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 me particularly. We invested money uh, to use the waste of the RO water for for the things that it can be used for, for washing floors, for cleaning of drums, uh, for putting a line into the washrooms in the in the bathrooms, uh, you yeah. know, to be used right. there for, for any other purpose other than drinking. Right, right. Gardening, using in you know, yeah. In fact, we in fact we've even uh, tied up with a couple of farmers uh, around our factory, and we supply that waste out of water for their farms. So at least, at least that much water they won't draw from the ground, right? And the last question, uh, and we'll finish off with this today, which is three things uh, or three pieces of advice that you want to leave our listeners and audience with. Uh, Okay, I don't know. First of all, if I'm even in that category to advise uh, people, but if if anybody can learn, mm-hmm. uh, again, and I would, I probably it's repetitive, but one is to have hundred percent commitment and faith in yourself. Number yeah. one, never ever lose that because the world is really bad. They will really try to pull you down. You know, they will give you examples of you should have done this and you shouldn't have done that. But listen to yeah. your inner voice. Always stand by it. Number two is uh, focus. I think you need to have a lot of focus on anything that you do. Uh, and it's, it's not just business. If, you, if you're focusing on, uh, on, your, on your child, you know, give 100% focus. Don't be on your mobile phone when your child is talking to you. I mean, that's a perfect example. So if you're, if you're engaging with your child, you should 100% engage. And it, it, it relates to business. If you're engaged with your business, be 100% there till the time you're working. Uh, if you think 6 o'clock is your time to wind off, uh, then do that. But up till 6 o'clock, just be there. The other thing for young entrepreneurs is to uh, 
you know rome was not built in a day i mean be patient is another oh, yeah. thing you okay. know be patient because you may have started a venture you know what happens with with the younger generation is that you think of an idea you started and the moment you started and you know within a few days you start talking about valuations you know you guys <laughs> jump the guns uh, right. you guys are you know if we do this we do 20 such things somebody will acquire us the, the ultimate thing is what is your end game you know if if you're starting any enterprise you need to be focused on your end game is your end game to create a brand live with it create you know you know create a a legendary uh, you know a brand behind if if that's your focus then it's a long term focus if your focus is to sell out uh, you, you know get acquired then it's a different focus you know so be patient you'll re- you'll reach your goal but be patient patience i think yeah i've said that word several times now <laughs> no i think and i think it's very applicable as well so i think with that that concludes not only a rapid fire but i think that in, that concludes our conversation uh thank you couple for making the time i i want to just want to wish you guys uh and your entire team luck for the future and your endeavors thanks so much i mean it's a great uh you know it's a great platform you guys have started and i wish you guys a lot of success Thank you. Uh, Thank you. You know the way you are connecting entrepreneurs to the rest of the world and people are listening. I hope uh, you know people get to learn or take take something from it. And uh, and thank you, thank you again. It was wonderful talking to you guys, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so I much. I hope it Kapo. was good enough for you to get the right content and. You know, oh, of course, I don't know. of course. I've never no, done it, it before, so I'm—I don't know. I'm just asking. Oh, oh we're, we're we're glad we can give you this experience as well from our end. Um, but it w- it was a great time, and I think our listeners have a lot to learn from this conversation. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, thank you, guys. Thank you, all the best. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, and with that, uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. 